we are wrapping up this series of messages today on our vision and values. And, and it's just important to come back and, and revisit that in the, out of the long, rich history of our fellowship because there are a lot of us that have images or, or visions of what a church should be. And you can categorize them a lot of different ways. Some might see the church as a gas station, right? You, you kind of pull in, you whip in on a Sunday morning, you get filled up, and you, you, you're good to go uh, for a, another week. Others may look at the church more as a, as a movie theater. You know, you come and you, you see a pretty good show, and uh, uh, it's, uh, you, you hopefully get inspired along the way or moved, and, and then you move on uh, with your life. Some folks maybe see the church as a drugstore. Uh, you know, you, you come in with what ails you. You come in with the, uh, the, the bumps and bruises of life, the, the, maybe the pain points in your life, and you, and you come to the church and hope that it kind of can apply some, some medication there along the way. And others may see the church more along the lines of a, a big box retailer, that it's, the, you know, you kind of go and you have this, this menu of, of programs and options and all these things you can kind of pick and choose from, uh, all to kind of satisfy your needs or, or scratch uh, where you're itching or whatever it may be. And, and while there may be some elements of truth in, in some of those images, they can also uh, be a distortion. And the picture that we've been trying to kind of lift up over these past few weeks is, is the picture of, of an aircraft carrier, uh, that, that we, are, we are the people of God, but the, the church of Jesus Christ is, is to unleash, unleash a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers. And as that aircraft carrier kind of serves as that place that it strategically positions itself where those planes take off and they, and they, they take off in fulfillment of their assignment and their mission and they go perhaps in all different directions and all different things that they're doing, but they come back and there's repair and refueling and uh, renewal and rest and then there's reassignment and they're redeployed again. And, and that's the picture of that, that we just sense this is what God God would have us to be about in these days, in this long, rich history of this church, that we are to be that aircraft carrier, where we are to be used by God to unleash a movement, a movement of Christ-centered, spirit-empowered world changers, and we want to unleash them across the world. We want to unleash them into all facets of our society, into neighborhoods and schools and government and business and the medical field and on and on, education, on and on it goes. We want to unleash a movement of christ centered, spirit-empowered world changers. And as we pursue that vision, there are some values that are going to guide us, and that's what we've been focusing on over these past few weeks. We've been talking about the value of biblical authority and faith-filled prayer, the value of transformational relationships, the value of Christ-centered families. Last week, we talked about the value of radical obedience, of doing what God says, when God says to do it, how God says to do it, and trusting Him with the rest. We want to talk about the sixth and the final value that guides us in the pursuit of that vision this morning, and that is what we call a missional lifestyle, a missional lifestyle. One of the things that we hope will happen to every follower of Jesus Christ is that at some point, and we hope early on in your walk with Christ, you understand it's not about you. You understand it's not just about, uh, about your needs, your wants, your desires, but that you were made for something greater. You are invited to be a part of something greater. Said another 
way, as we follow Christ, we come to understand that we were made for a mission. That you and I are made for a mission. Listen, if the only thing was you get, you get in a right relationship with God and you go to heaven, if it was about that, then he could take us instantly, right? But he has a reason. There's a reason that you are here. There's a reason that you live where you live and work where you work and hang out in the social circles you hang out. That God has you there strategically. That you and I were made for a mission. You can't go through the New Testament without beginning to pick up that sense that we are a called and a sent people. In John 17, as Jesus is praying, he said, I did not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And then that last sentence, as you, as he's talking to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As surely as Jesus was sent on mission, you and I have been sent. You were made for a mission. Paul came to understand that in his own life. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul came to this understanding. God has set me apart for a mission, for a purpose. There are things that God uniquely wants to do through me. Jesus perhaps summarized it easy in one sentence. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Inherent in the call to follow Christ is a call to be on mission with him. And if there's a phrase that kind of captures this value of living missionally, as living as a, as a missionary, living on mission, it's this. Everybody an everyday missionary. Everybody an everyday missionary. That's, that's kind of the picture or the vision for this value, if you will. Every one of us to begin to see ourselves. I'm not, I'm not a husband or wife or an engineer or a nurse or a doctor or a teacher or a retiree or whatever it is. No, no, no. I am a, I am a missionary. I have a mission. A missionary is not just a person who goes across the ocean, right? tourists go across the ocean, right? Being a missionary is not about location. It's about mindset. It's about the understanding that I was made for a mission. That may take you across the pond. It may take you across the street. It may take you across the hall. It may take you over to the next cubicle or whatever it might be. But everybody living, seeing, sensing, operating out of a mindset that says, I am an everyday missionary. I don't just go on a mission trip. I am an everyday missionary. That is inherent in who I am as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so what I want us to do to kind of lift up this value this morning is look at a passage tucked away in Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 9, the last few verses of that chapter, we kind of get a, a glimpse of what it might look like 
to follow Jesus on mission, to follow Jesus on mission. And in these verses, I want you to see with me, they're familiar verses perhaps to many of you in the room this morning. I want you to see uh, kind of the model of Jesus and what that might mean to you and I as we seek to live out that, that calling to be an everyday missionary. And the first thing that you see Jesus doing that I think we're to model and emulate is what Jesus did. What Jesus did. Look at verse 35. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's been doing all these things. Verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every Affliction, Kind of a summary statement of what he's been doing throughout that chapter there. Notice, first of all, what Jesus did. And the first thing, he went. He went. He went to where people were. He went to their villages. He went to their cities. He was, he was strategic. If you follow the Gospels, you find Jesus kind of mixed it up. He hung out with the religious and the irreligious, right? He hung out with those who, who kind of exhibited a real hunger for God, but, but also he went to those that, that maybe in their busyness or their, their, just their mindset, they didn't really have room for God. And he, he mixed it up. He went. He went. Inherent in following Jesus is, I go. I go. That may be that I, I take the initiative. I reach out. I walk across the street or lean against the backyard fence or whatever it is. But he went. But he not only went, but he communicated. He communicated. He taught. He proclaimed. You, 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 you may never be a, a quote-unquote uh, preacher, right, or a formal teacher in any sort of formal setting, but all of us are communicators. All of us communicate all the time. Inherent in following Jesus is communicating, communicating the goodness of God, communicating the truth of God's Word, communicating the good news of the gospel message. He went. He went where people were. He communicated, but he also met needs. He met needs. He, he, he sometimes would begin where people were. He, he, he healed every disease. He healed afflictions. Now, you and I may not uh, be able to do that quite the way that Jesus did, but can God use you to meet some needs? Maybe it's an encouragement. Maybe it's a physical need. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a relational need. Maybe it's a need for just a listening ear or whatever it is. But, but God can use us to meet needs. The essence of, of what Jesus did and what it means to follow him in this step is that like Jesus, we're called to go and share the gospel in word and deed. In word and deed. It's not either or, it's both and. In fact, is, and we'll, we'll look again at the Matthew 28, that great commission passage toward the end of our time. But in that great commission passage, the best translation is, a lot of times in our English it says, go therefore and make disciples, but it's as you are going. In the flow of your life, as you are doing life, you live as a missionary. You have that mindset. You go. You go with the idea of, of sharing the gospel in word and in deed. That's what we begin to see in this passage about what Jesus did. But I want you to also see what Jesus saw. What Jesus saw, as he was going, he saw something. Verse 36, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Someone said you'll see an awful lot if you'll only look. And sometimes we don't look, right? We don't look. But when Jesus went, he looked. He looked. And he saw. He saw people. And he saw their needs. He saw their needs. You know, you can just about bet every person that you see, every person that you'll pass, every person that you'll have a conversation with has something going on in life, right? May not be major today, but there's, there's something going on in life. We all have needs. He saw their needs. He saw their condition. He described it as uh, helpless. They were uh, harassed. He saw their condition. He saw below the surface. He saw below the, uh, the smiles. He saw uh, kind of behind the, uh, the, the nice neighborhood and the nice car. He saw their condition. What we know is that the Bible tells us every person apart from Jesus Christ is, is separated, is separated from God now and forever. That's the default condition. He saw their condition. He saw their needs. But yet he saw their potential. He saw their potential. He saw something in them. There was value that every person that you see is created in the image of God. And yes, that image gets distorted and sometimes almost destroyed, it feels like, by sin. But he saw their potential. He saw who God had created them to be. He saw who they could be in relationship to God. And it's the same thing that he wants us to be able to do, to see as he sees. But you know, very often... We just see on the surface, right? We kind of see what they look like. We make that, that, that quick evaluation, right? That's why we, we school one another. We try to even tell our children or, or maybe uh, the, some of the folks you're leading in, in business or whatever, you never get another chance to make a first impression, right? And we realize that, man, we, 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 we kind of make some evaluations of people just, just off that first impression. We see on the surface, we, we, we tend to, 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 to make snap judgments about people based on maybe a, a brief encounter or a quick evaluation or a one-time episode. We tend to, to put people in categories very quickly. We tend to categorize and classify without caring. It's just kind of the way for us to be able to, to, to deal with people, right? Well, one of the things that God wants to do in my life and yours is he wants to help us to see differently. As we follow Christ, he will open our eyes to see as he sees. To open our eyes to see as he sees. And maybe, maybe one of our prayers, one of our kind of mantras, if you will, as we walk through our days is, is God, give me fresh eyes. Lord, give me fresh eyes to see today. Lord, help me to see people not on the surface today, but as you see them. God, help me not, not to uh, categorize and classify without caring, but not to rush to a snap judgment. But God, help me to see below the surface. Help me to see their needs. Help me to see their condition. Lord, help me to see their potential, who they could be in you. Part of our, our, our walking as an everyday missionary is just allowing God to shape the way that we see Jesus went, 
And as he went, he saw. But he not only saw, but this scripture tells us that he felt. That he felt. Did you notice the wording there in verse 36? He had compassion for them. Compassion for them. The word that's used there is, is to be deeply moved. That, that this was not just a, a, an awe in that cute kitty cat video, right? This, this moved him. This, this gripped his heart. He, he had a, a, a passion with, a, a deep connection with. The message paraphrase says his heart broke. As he looked at these people, his heart broke because he knew. He knew how God had created them and what God had created them for. He, he knew the potential that was in them. He knew what God desired for their life, and yet he saw where they were. He saw the things that they were chasing that ultimately were going to leave them empty and unfulfilled. And he saw that, and it moved him, not with harshness, not with judgment, but with, with compassion. And that's what God God wants to fill our hearts with. Paul said, for the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ, some of the translation says, compels us. That this love is that when God begins to shape our heart, that that love propels, it controls, it compels us to engage. It compels us to lean in toward people. It compels us to, to see and to feel differently along the way. As we follow Christ, we ask him not only to open our eyes, but open our our hearts to feel as he feels. And listen, I know sometimes that's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes you feel like, I can't, man, I got enough. I got enough on my plate. I got enough in my head. I got enough in my heart. It's been kind of beat up and wounded along the way. But it's only as we allow God to shape our heart that we'll experience the fullness of our calling and the fullness of the life that he designed us for. Someone penned years ago uh, a prayer that's not a bad one to carry around. Break my heart over the things that break the heart of God. When's the last time your heart was broken over the things that break the heart of God? Sometimes if you're a sports fan, you know, we talk about a heartbreaking loss, right? They lost, you know, the Atlanta Falcons had a heartbreaking loss in the Super Bowl as they had blew this big lead, right? Don't just let a heartbreaking loss of a sports team be the thing that touches you. Just to be able to say, God, help me to not be so busy. Help my heart not to be so calloused that it can't be broken over the things that are breaking your heart. Someone asked years ago, and it's one of those questions that stuck with me. said, how many nights will we go to bed dry-eyed while people all around us are crying themselves to sleep? Sometimes we just need God to break our hearts, don't we? We need to, to move beyond our comfort zones and our, our convenience to allow God to break our hearts. Jesus went, and he saw and out of that, he felt. But then he spoke. What is it that Jesus said? Verse 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, there is so much there in those verses, but let's, let's try to just uh, at least give you some handles to begin to, to grip them. First of all, he spoke about an abundant harvest. The problem is not that God is not working in the lives of people. The problem is not that there are not people who, who are, are open to God. No, there is an abundant harvest. He said not only is, is the activity of God present everywhere, he said what, what the problem is, there's a labor shortage. There's a labor shortage. The, the fields are widened to the harvest. There is an abundant harvest, but the laborers, the laborers, are few. Those who understand that they were made for a mission, those who understand that every day, every place, they are an everyday missionary. Those people who are living that out are too few among the followers of Jesus Christ. Those who will go like Jesus went, who will see what Jesus saw, who will feel what Jesus felt, those are, those are too few and far between. There is an abundant harvest there's just a labor shortage. And that issued forth a prayer priority. A prayer priority. Pray. Pray. Earnestly. Earnestly. To the Lord of the harvest. Because it is his harvest. Only he can transform a life. Only he can draw someone to a saving knowledge. But he invites us to be a part of that journey. Pray earnestly for laborers. Pray to him to send out laborers under the harvest and among the things that you have prayed about over the past seven days how many times did you pray Lord send out laborers send out laborers you see when Jesus taught the disciples to pray when he prayed for us in John 17 that we looked at in the opening what you discover is that Jesus didn't instruct them to pray that the world would come to the church he instead, that the church would go to the world. And sometimes we have that mentality that if we just, if, if we just have, you know, uh, better programs or, or, you know, sharper music or more special effects or, uh, you know, more convenient or whatever, you know, the, the world will come to the church. But that was never God's plan A. Jesus said, I left you here so that you would go. So that you would go into the highways and the hedges. So that you would go to the places where you're already going. And as you are going, you would go with a mindset that says, I am an everyday missionary. I'm not just a quote-unquote missionary when there's a Saturday morning project or when there's a, a trip that we're going to take. No, every day I am on mission. Every day God wants to use me to further his kingdom activity. Every day is a potential day when God wants to touch somebody through me. And so the prayer of Jesus was always centered on us going, not people coming, that, that it was the, the church of Jesus Christ would go into the world. The church was never designed to be a fortress or a hideout, and we make it that, right? Because, man, you get kind of beat up in the world, and sometimes you just kind of want a place to hang out, and it's safe, and, and it's friendly, and, and it's, it's pretty fun. 
to be with like-minded people. And there's value in that. Unless, unless we try to take that aircraft carrier and turn it into a cruise ship, right? I mean, if it's a place to refuel and retool and be sent out again, that's one thing. But if it's a place just to, when's the next buffet on the Lido deck? Then we got another issue, right? Another issue. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. God is at work all around us to begin with that mentality. God is working in people's lives whether you can immediately recognize it or not. That's why you and I need to pray, God, help me to see as you see. Help me to see what you're doing. Help me to understand where you're at work and how you want me to join you there. And then, God, let me, let me be a part of those who go. And then what did Jesus do? What Jesus did on into the 10th chapter, look look, look what he did. Verse 1, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Then he begins to list the names of those disciples. Then verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out. He sent them out. Now, let's just pause right there. What, What did Jesus do? Right after this prayer priority... He calls this group of folks to him, this core group. He called them to him first and foremost, and that's always where it begins. He calls us to him. He calls us to relationship with him. He seals us with his Holy Spirit. We become a disciple. The definition of a disciple is a lifelong learner. And as a disciple, he calls us to him, and we are granted authority. You are authorized by the King of kings and Lord of lords to be his representative, to be his ambassador. You have been authorized to share the gospel message. You have been authorized to take the message of Jesus Christ into the circles that you travel in. He calls us to himself. He authorizes us, and then he sends them out. He sent them out. This is what Jesus did. When when he, he went, he saw, he felt, he spoke, and then he sent them out. Called them to him, granted them authority, and sent them out. That's what he does in my life and yours as well. He calls us to, if you are in Jesus Christ today, you have been called to him. You have been granted authority. And what this value reminds us of is that you have been sent. That you and I have been sent on a mission. It's not just for a few, it is for every follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, the English word that we use, apostles, is literally sent ones. Sent ones, that we are those who have been sent. And again, that's the theme throughout the New Testament. We won't take time to read all these verses. They're familiar to you. Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission. All authority. There's that authority again. And heaven and earth has been given to me. And out of that authority, what does Jesus do? He sends us. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And as we do that, baptizing and teaching, he has promised to be with us to the very end of the age. It's as you're going that you experience the presence and the power of Jesus Christ. Paul talked about the fact he was not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That that this gospel, this gospel that maybe you've been hearing 
during all of your life is still the power of God. It is still that which God uses to transform now and forever. And if we come to this with a mindset, if we come under biblical authority, the Bible tells us that everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. Everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. And we have the message, the one and only message that can change someone's forever destiny. That can change not only the trajectory of their life here and now, but the trajectory of their life forever. Everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation, regardless of their background, regardless of the nationality. You see all the different faces uh, around the worship center. It is that same gospel that is, that is true regardless of language, regardless of nationality, regardless of socioeconomic status. It is the same for all people. When Paul talked about following Christ. He used that term that we are a new creation. We have this new life in Jesus Christ. But out of that new life, we also have a new assignment as you read through that. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. It's as if God himself is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is our message. That is our assignment. That is our mission. Regardless if you ever leave the county, it is our assignment. And you say, okay, Jeff, I hear what you're saying, but where do I begin? Where do I begin? Well, I'm just one of those profound folks, okay? Here it goes. All right, you ready for this? This is deep stuff. The only place you can begin is where you are, right? Isn't it true? Sometimes we say, well, if I was, if I was over there, if I had that opportunity, if I had this training, or if I... Eh, start where you are. It's the only place you can start from. Where do I live? So that I begin to see things differently. I'm not in this neighborhood by accident. I don't live on this street by accident. I don't, I don't, I don't hang out in this cul-de-sac by accident. I'm not in this apartment by accident. I'm not in this dorm room by accident. Where I live, where I work. Many of us spend an awful lot of hours at work, Right? Could it be that God has strategically positioned you as one of his followers there to be his representative? Could it be that the gospel will travel to the people you work with more realistically? They'll be much more open to hearing that from someone that they work with, right? Where I live, where I work, and where I play. Where I play. Now, maybe your recreation, your hobbies, your activities, where you shop or wherever it might be. But to have that mindset along the way. heard about a young man by the name of, uh, of Peter. And Paul Borthwick was writing about Peter. Peter had a, a master's degree from Harvard University, right? That's, that's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive. That's why Paul was surprised when he walked in to a McDonald's one day, and he saw Peter working there. He had just graduated from Harvard with his master's degree, and he greeted him, and they had, he had a little break coming up, so they sat down for coffee together. He recognized him from the young adult ministry at the church. 
Let me just read you some of their conversation. What are you doing here, I ask, knowing that Harvard master's degree students don't usually aspire to work the counter at McDonald's? Well, he explained, I graduated in May, but I went four months without finding a job. So I said to myself, well, I need some income to pay the bills. So this is where I've ended up, at least for now. Sorry to hear that. It must be hard, I replied. But Peter cut me off. No, 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 don't be sorry. God has me here. This place has given me awesome opportunities to share my faith. I'm on a shift now that includes a Buddhist guy from Sri Lanka, a Muslim fellow from Lebanon, a Hindu lady from India, and a fellow Christian from El Salvador. It's awesome. I get to be a global missionary to my coworkers while asking, would you like fries with that? Is that a great mindset? I mean, think about it. How many of us in those shoes would have spent all of our time whining about the fact that we don't have a job yet with our Harvard master's degree? How many of us, the only thing we would have been praying about is the next job interview? But he's saying, I'm not going to be here forever, but while I'm here, I'm on mission. I'm on mission. God has strategically positioned me here. And I get to be a global missionary without leaving the McDonald's. He laughed and so did I. Like Philip, Peter found himself in a setting he never would have chosen as part of his long-term plan. But his mindset of living as a sent person shaped the way he looked at his circumstances and at the people around him. Could it be that the greatest need in some of our lives is not a change in our circumstances, it's a change in our mindset? It's a change in our mindset that says, I was made for a mission. And God has me here in this season of my life. And maybe it's hard and maybe it's tough and maybe it's incredibly difficult. And maybe it was like nowhere, nowhere, nowhere on your radar screen. But God has you there. And there, right there, is where he wants to use you to touch lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray unto the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest field. But I think sometimes we don't pray that because we know if we get serious about praying that, that also means we're praying for ourselves, right? And when you begin to sense that calling of God, that calling of God to to join Christ's own mission, to live every day as an everyday missionary, you can have one of three responses. The first is, who me? Who me? <laughs> who me focuses on doubt and fear? Who me says, I am inadequate. I don't, I'm not eloquent enough. They'll ask me a question I don't know the answer to. Or I'm not, you know, just let somebody else do it. I'll, I'll give some money. I'll pray or whatever. But let somebody else do that because I don't think I can do it. Or I'm afraid of how they'll react or what they'll say or how they'll respond. And we let doubt and fear rob us from the daring adventure of living on mission with Jesus Christ. Who me focuses on my inadequacies. And that's the wrong direction to look. 
Sometimes we don't say who me, we just flat out say not me. Not me. And however you try to cover it up with spiritual language, that is disobedience and disregard. It is disobedience to the command and the calling of God. It's disregard of the truth of the gospel. It's a disregard and a devaluing of the people all around you. That somehow, someway, they're not important enough for you to move out of your comfort zone to share the gospel with. I mean, if we really feel like, apart from Jesus Christ, if we're convinced under biblical authority that everybody apart from Jesus Christ is destined to a Christless eternity in hell, then isn't the most loving, kind, compassionate thing we could ever do is to try to gossip the gospel? Is to try to plant a seed or water a seed or be around at the harvest? I mean, isn't that most, the most loving thing? to do not me is disobedience and disregard the third possible response says send me send me send me focuses on God's ability and not my inabilities send me it doesn't say I got it all together I got all the answers I got a clever presentation send me just says God I'm available God I recognize who you are I recognize the love you have for people you're helping me to see people differently you're helping to fill my heart with compassion for people your love is compelling me is controlling me to step out of my comfort zone God I've got fears I've got inadequacies I've got questions but I'm not going to focus on them I'm going to focus on the fact that you have called me you have granted me authority you have sent me it was the response of the prophet Isaiah and I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us and then I said here I am send me and in the end That's the essence of living out this value. Yes, pick up tools along the way. Yes, allow folks to come alongside you to encourage and model and instruct. But at the heart of it is just to say, God, it's not about me. It's not about my cleverness. It's about you. Here I am. Send me this value is the value of everybody every single one of us in this room who claims the name of Jesus Christ operating from a mindset that says I am an everyday missionary let me try to drive this home with a statement and a story and the statement's one that I came across a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes you hear a question, you hear a statement, and I, I don't know about you, but for me, the Lord just kind of uses that to rattle your cage a little bit. And this was one of those for me. The statement, the question was from the perspective of someone who was outside of Christ, outside of the church. And they said, you know, you've invited me to church, which is perhaps more than any folks do, but you've never invited me into your home. 
You invited me to church. Not a bad thing. But you never invited me into your home. And could it be that in the world in which we live, that a lot of what it means to be an everyday missionary is going to be just to begin to practice hospitality, just to begin to build those relational bridges that can become a bridge for the gospel of Jesus Christ to travel across. And as I've been wrestling with that statement personally, I was reminded of the the story of Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. I don't know if you know her story, but it's a powerful testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the age of 36, Rosaria was the recently tenured professor for the Center of Women's Study at Syracuse University. Rosaria and her lesbian partner were members of the Unitarian Universalist Church where Rosaria was the coordinator of what was called the Welcoming Committee, the Gay and Lesbian Advocacy Group. Up to this point in her life, she said the only Christians she knew were intellectually impaired, in her own words. They were the kind of people who sent me hate mail, who carried signs at gay pride marches that read all sorts of hateful things. But her negative image of Christians would radically change when she met a local pastor named Ken and his wife, Floyd. Eventually, that friendship led to her conversion to Christ. But here's how she described their first encounter. I remember being conscious of my butch haircut and the gay and pro-choice bumper stickers on my car. I remember awkwardly greeting my host at the door and pulling out my two bag gifts, a bottle of good red wine and a box of strong tea. I wanted to get to know these people, but not at the expense of compromising my moral standards. My lesbian identity and culture and its values mattered a lot to me, and I came to my culture and its values through life experience and also through through much research and deep thinking. I liked Ken and Floyd immediately because they seemed sensitive to that. During our meal, I remember holding my breath and waiting to be punched in the stomach with something grossly offensive. I believed at this time that God was dead and that if he ever was alive, the fact of poverty, violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, and the war was proof that he didn't care about his creation. I believed that religion was, as Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses. But Ken's God seemed alive, three-dimensional, and wise, if firm. And Ken and Floyd were anything but intellectually impaired. Ken and Floyd did something at the meal that has a long Christian history. They invited the stranger in, not to scapegoat me, but to listen and to learn and to dialogue. We didn't debate worldview. They were willing to walk the long journey to me in Christian compassion. During our meal, they did not share the gospel with me. After our meal, they did not invite me to church. Because of these glaring omissions to the Christian script as I had come to know it, when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said he wanted to stay in touch, I knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. Since this beginning, the journey on which the Lord has taken me has been a great adventure. And this simple meal in a pastor's home was the first leg of this journey. Before I ever stepped foot in a church, I spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd and on and off studying Scripture and my heart. Ken knew at the time that I couldn't come to church, 
It would have been too threatening, too weird, too much. So Ken was willing to bring the church to me. Could it be that in 2017, what it means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ, what it means to live as an everyday missionary, is not just to invite somebody to church, but it is to take the church to them. It is not just to invite someone to church, as appropriate as that may very well be at times, but it is to invite them first into your home. And after all, isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, didn't he show up at dinner parties <laughs> that the religious folks got ticked off that he went to? Because that's where the people were who needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus has called us to himself. But he calls us not to a fortress or a hideout or a cruise ship. He calls us to himself. He authorizes, empowers, and sends us out. As we think about a missions conference, let us prepare by living every day as an everyday missionary. Would you bow your heads with me and pray, please? Oh, Father, thank you, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Father, for touching us with grace, with offering us forgiveness that we could never have earned or deserved. And Lord, I, I just pray. I pray, Father, even today, knowing that perhaps there's someone in this room that, that has never come to that saving knowledge. Lord, I pray that today, today might be the day when you would open up their heart and their mind to the, the, to the love and to the truth, to the life that's only found in Jesus Christ. Lord, let today be the day of transformation. Today be the day of salvation. Oh, Lord, I, I want to very specifically pray today for many of us who claim your name. Lord, today, would you reignite our vision for living as a sent man or a sent woman, a person made for a mission, a person that is to live every day as a missionary. And, Lord, I, I just pray, Lord.